Most folks are utterly clueless about the size and scope of the nonprofit sector. In fact, I don't think people really even think of it as a sector. You think about your church, your synagogue, homeless shelter, community center, organizations that advocate for those for whom the playing field isn't level. We think of them in these buckets in isolation. But in its aggregate, the nonprofit sector packs a serious punch. Try on these three statistics. The public sector charities generated over $1 trillion in revenue last year. That economic impact is greater than most countries. Number two, according to a 2019 report by the Center for Civil Society Studies at at Johns Hopkins University, nonprofits account for roughly one in 10 jobs in the United States private workforce with total employees numbering over 12 million in 2016. The nonprofit sector is the third largest employer after retail and manufacturing. And here's number three, about 25%, some statistics say even higher, of all Americans volunteer every year and the number grows every single year. And together, these dedicated volunteers provide nearly 8 billion hours of service. Okay, I've got one more statistic for you, and this is the one that counts for today's conversation. 66.9% of nonprofits have budgets less than $500,000. And a big percentage of that, smaller than $250,000. Thousands of these organizations are represented in the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, my online membership site for staff and board leaders of small nonprofits for whom coaching and consulting is just cost prohibitive. Now, make no mistake, these organizations may be small in budget, but mighty in impact. In fact, I have seen organizations with $100,000 budgets be more effective and have greater impact than organizations with an additional one or even two zeros at the end. I want you to know more about small nonprofits, what they have in common, what their challenges are, and how they contribute to the fabric of our society. My guest today will talk about just this. She speaks to leaders of these nonprofits every single day and knows more than just a thing or two about the small but mighty nonprofit. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. My guest today is Laura Zelke. She is the Director of Member Experience for the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, an organization dedicated to helping and empowering nonprofit leaders worldwide to accomplish their missions. We focus specifically on small nonprofits. And yes, full disclosure, Laura works with me. Uh, She lives in North Carolina, but happens to be here in my office. And we thought we would take an opportunity to talk and share with you what she has learned over the past few years as she has provided community support and engagement for these small but mighty nonprofits. Laura Zilke, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here, Joan. So, So let's take it Let's take it from the top. Um, talk to me for a second about um, what's the, is there a typical small nonprofit, and if so, sort of 
Like, how would you think about typical, that? Typical, not small, not typical, small nonprofit. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I guess when I think of a small nonprofit, if we're talking, you know, about the the members of the lab and, and the sectors that they represent, they really are anything from uh, startup organizations uh, that really don't have any staff yet. And maybe um, the founder and uh, working board are the ones doing doing everything. And then there are some that have uh, they, they have gotten to the point that they can hire staff. Um, but the budget is the money. You know, fundraising is just always at the at the top of the needs list. So let's talk about, um, you know, I uh, the logo for the nonprofit leadership lab is this cute little orange superhero guy. Uh, so I kind of think, uh, you know, you and I are kindred spirits in that we think of the folks who run small nonprofits as these kind of superheroes. Mm-hmm. So staying with that staying with that metaphor for a moment, let's talk about it. What do you see as the, the sort of superpowers of the small nonprofits? And yes, I will be asking you the kryptonite question too, but let's start okay. with superpowers. Superpowers. I think one of, I think one of the biggest superpowers that uh, I've seen in the smaller nonprofits is their nimbleness, their ability to um, just meet needs when they arise. Uh, yes, they have strategic plans and and yes they're they're doing the the hard work of planning right but when something happens it doesn't always have to necessarily go through a whole bunch of red tape for decisions to be made and things to get done it can actually get done pretty quickly and i think i think that's a pretty big superpower I a think small it, nonprofit i think it's a totally i, I actually don't think they often appreciate that as a superpower. But, you know, have, working, so in, in the lab, we work with small nonprofits. In my consulting practice, I tend to work with larger nonprofits mm-hmm. that do have uh, a pace that is slower, mm-hmm. where decisions have more people involved in making them, right. um, maybe where the organization is so big that they have a, like a serious hierarchy. So mm-hmm. this, this ability yeah. to, to move quickly is something you lose as you get bigger. I think, I think it can happen. You know, I, I think smaller nonprofits can get sluggish too. I'm not saying that they're all, all nimble, but I think that is a superpower of, of, of many of them. And also um, the proximity that they have to the work. They're so much more close to the work that's being done, most of them. I mean, some are national, and and maybe you don't have that, but the chapters are closer, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm thinking of um, a situation this week that came up with one of our members that was kind of a crisis, and they were able to reach out and within like a day have the decisions that made that needed to be made, and then the information out to all their chapter heads all over the United States. And it was in less than 24 hours. Um, yes, I actually I know I know the the situation you're referring to, and there that also I do believe was a um, a factor of um, the in that case I think the board chair and the executive director of that organization were really on the same page I, I about so. that crisis, yeah. and they uh, together worked to create a communications plan for the chapters. And I, I think that that made a big difference. I, I think so, too. And I think that when you have 
um, your board chair and your executive director or founder, you know, working in tandem like that, it's almost like a twin engine jet. You know, I've heard that. I've heard really? someone use Have that you? expression. <laughs> yes. Is that is that there's a board engine and a staff engine right. and in the cockpit, there are these co-pilots, the board chair and the executive director. I don't know who's, I don't remember who that, I, I, I read a book. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think it was um, something about messy. There was a lady on the front cover. She was sitting on a trash can. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, that was her. Um, can we but, move? Can continue on? There must okay. be other superpowers, Ms. So Zilke. I think that one of the other superpowers that smaller nonprofit leaders have, and and I'm sure large too, but there's just a joy and a passion that they have that they bring to the work because they're they're small. They're like they're in the weeds, really. A lot of times, doing the work themselves. Or, you know, trying trying to make sure that they're surrounding themselves with people who are just as passionate. And I think that when you get larger and you have hierarchy, that maybe um, sometimes you can get removed mm-hmm. a little bit, mm-hmm. not so able to touch the work. I think that's true. I am... Um... You know, there's because I came from corporate America before I joined the nonprofit space, I did a lot of work where I was developing startup businesses in larger corporations. And there's an excitement and a kind of a, I don't know, really good energy about Mm -hmm. startups. And I feel like it's very similar with a smaller nonprofit that there is this kind of really nice strong, positive energy um, that yeah. that comes across as certainly as we talk to these leaders every day. Right. And it's not to say that it doesn't happen in the larger organizations. I think it does. It's just different. And I think in a smaller one, although we may not like to call it a family, a lot of times in the smaller nonprofits, the people that you work with in the office end up becoming very close good friends, Mm -hmm. got each other's back. And then they take that together and channel it into getting, accomplishing their mission. I'm going to guess that that also falls under your kryptonite list too, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah, actually. Well, you know, you know, uh, uh, CPAs will always tell you that on a balance sheet, assets equal liabilities. So usually superpowers and kryptonite are sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. Other strengths you have, uh, superpowers you have, or should we move on to kryptonite? I think let's let's talk a little bit on the kryptonite. And then I I had a couple challenges, too, that I think that are very um, specific to a smaller Yeah, love that. So let's do let's do kryptonite and then let's do challenges. Okay. so I think that one of the I guess the kryptonite is uh, the fact that they are doing a lot of it themselves. And so there is a a pre burnout stage that will happen a lot of times um, because maybe there is uh, control issues. Um, or feeling like they're the only one that really, really, really gets it. Sometimes it can, it can spiral into that where the passion kind of goes off the rails a little bit. Yeah, I was going to ask you when you know there's a couple thousand members of the nonprofit leadership lab. Um, certainly, you wouldn't know the exact percentage, but are a good percentage of them um, sort of founder driven? Uh, we have a lot of founders in the nonprofit leadership lab, and. And a lot of them, it's very interesting, Joan. I think a lot of them 
really don't want to end up with founder syndrome, mm-hmm. but they don't know what to do yeah. to, you know, because it's, it's their baby. And so a lot of what we do in the lab is just providing that training and that support that allows them to feel confident and, and train their staff in such a way that they can loosen their grip a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe. Yep. Yep. Because I think that that's the, um, the, the, the issue of control is something that you tend to see a little bit more frequently with um, founder-led organizations because there's because of the notion of this, you know, as you call it, sort of the baby, and such a clear sense and such a, you know, so so driven mm-hmm. in a particular direction to make a difference in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's not just about the burnout, though. Sometimes they get. Um, feeling like they're just alone. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, that is also a kryptonite, which actually I think we take really good care of that mm-hmm. in the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, but just feeling like there's nobody that you can talk to, that there's nobody that understands. And that can really weigh on a person. And I think it, I think it contributes to the exhaustion and to the burnout if, if you hold it all in. I, I think that's really true. I, um, and and the, the the loneliness is exacerbated when your organization is um, small. Like like we have folks in the right. lab who are one one person shops. Right, and it can get it can get very lonely. Mm-hmm. It really can. Okay. So I have a question for you. You do because I was going to ask you one other okay, question, which is uh, maybe this is, falls into a challenge, but. Um, isn't it part of the, the kryptonite of a of a small nonprofit that they that they're just ne- just never have they just never feel like they never have enough money? Like that is do you think is that a challenge or is that sort of the crypt? There's something about it is just sort of the there's a there's a sort of uh, I, I don't you know. So I, what I do you do? What, yeah, I get what you're saying. I I agree. And and here's what I say would probably be the difference between a small nonprofit and a large nonprofit because everybody's got the money issue. Right. It's just that I think somehow smaller nonprofit leaders think that maybe it's their fault that they don't have enough money. Like, like that this is something that if they don't have enough money, it's because they're not working hard enough or it's because, you know, like making all the excuses, taking it on. And I think in larger nonprofits, it's just part of the, like, you just know, you know, you're not going to have enough money. So you just, you do your budget, you make your plans. And in smaller nonprofits, it's like, but we don't have enough money. Well, nobody has enough money. Yeah, right. That, that's really true. Um, I'm, I'm also thinking about where the board comes into the picture, right? Smaller nonprofits, do they, uh, when well, you, th- yeah, when you yeah. think of that, do we have, do we tend to have... Yeah. Less mature boards, I, I, and that the and less the, experience, less experience, yeah. and that the leaders um, really need them to step in in a way that right. they may not actually be ready to, or they may not realize that that's part of what they're supposed to be doing. It's not just about being a body in a room making decisions. It's about actually raising money to support the organization to move the mission forward. You know, whether whether it's out of your own. I mean, most boards, they'll say, well, you know, equal sacrifice, right, for giving. But if there's no real standard set, 
I mean, it, it could be, you could be a board member and be giving less than $100 a year and still have 100% board participation on your grant applications, but that's not helpful. It's not helpful for the organization, and it's, I don't think it's helpful for that board member. If they're not giving, you know, a cert, what I, I've heard you say this before, that um, if you're on a board, it, you should be donating to your organization. They should be one of the top three organizations that you donate to. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I think, I mean, can you imagine... Can you imagine? Okay, let's just take a moment. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> a, if imagine every, if every board member made that choice. Right. Just even if you were number three, if the organization, if every small nonprofit's board chose to say, we're going to make, you're going to be the number three charity that I support. That would be, cha- I that think would that would be, I, I really do. Yeah, I think it would be. Yeah. I think so it, that's our goal. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. if you're a board member listening right now, <laughs> you might, you might see the light coming down on you. So um, <laughs> I, I um, interrupted you because you wanted to ask me a question. I did. Um, I wanted to say, like, what do you feel? I'm going to ask you. Okay. Because you're in there too. Yeah. Like, what do you feel is a vulnerability of a small nonprofit? Of a small nonprofit or the leader of a small nonprofit? Whichever you want to answer. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with small nonprofit leader vulnerability. For how much? Uh, for 400, Alex. Okay. All right. Um, biggest vulnerability uh, is imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Is be- not believing that you can do the job. Sitting at the desk and thinking to yourself, okay, when is the real executive director going to come through the door and sit down at this desk? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I believe self-doubt is at, at, the, at the biggest vulnerability. And it's such a funny thing to me because it requires such bravery and such sort of fearlessness yeah. to be good at this work. And it's almost ironic to me that self-doubt plays such a big role in in sometimes sabotaging uh, a leader's success. Right. And that's actually... How'd I do on that question? Well, you forgot to frame it in the form of a question, (laughs) so you actually lost 400. What is imposter syndrome? Okay. Um, Yeah, okay, fine. But that was after the buzzer. Um, Okay, so... One of the challenges that I wrote down when I was thinking about um, the, the challenges of small nonprofits, there's a couple members that I've talked with recently in situations that I'm aware of. One of them is, um, let's say that you run a small food bank to feed the food insecure in your community. And then there's also a really large organization like maybe Second Harvest or something like that. Yep, or so, a, a, an affiliate of Feeding America or something. Right, or yep. some, you know, yep. something really big. And they feel like they're almost competing for dollars. And they feel kind of like they don't know what to do because even though you have the large organization, there's still a need for that little one Mm -hmm. that's actually like right there in the community doing pop-up food banks and in neighborhoods that need it. And I think that that can be a challenge for nonprofits who are, you know, maybe they're in a sector where they're the little guy. It's, it kind of reminds me um, of like when Walmart was going into small towns, Mm -hmm. not to get into all that, but just, 
how, you know, there were some mom and pop shops that maybe kind of went out of business. Completely. Or and Barnes so, and Noble and small right, right. neighborhood bookstores. Right. And so what do you do when you have a small nonprofit that is meeting a need in the community and then you have a larger organization come in? You're not really in competition with them. Like you're meeting different needs with different people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it, I often talk, try to talk about the notion that in a particular sector. So if you are, if you're somebody who cares deeply about food insecurity, um, the pie gets bigger. So if you believe that organization A, which is rather large, does something that feels really distinctive, right? You're going to give that person money and the, that organization money. And the more the more you get involved with an organization, the more you see varying kinds of issues in that sector that you want to sort of um, contribute to affecting change in those arenas. So I, you know, I often use that sort of orchestra analogy that, um, that there's a food insecurity sort of orchestra and each organization plays kind of a different instrument. And, um, and there, you know, I do believe now I'm going to mix my metaphors, orchestras and pies, but I, I think the pie, <laughs> I think the pie gets bigger. Okay. So we were on challenges. We were. And I have another challenge. Okay. Okay. And this one I know happens more than once, but I'm thinking of one particular um, person whose organization, I think that when you're in a smaller nonprofit, you're more vulnerable to misinformation that's going out about your organization, particularly like if you don't have a plan on how to deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have someone say that you're serving and then they get disgruntled and they decide to go to social media with that, like, how do you handle that? Well, in a larger organization, you probably have a team. Yeah, you, right? you have a team. You might not have a plan, though. Well, that's true. But hypothetically, I guess I maybe I'm just making an assumption <laughs> Right. No, I mean, you probably are making an assumption about, every, you know, a team, an organization that's large enough that has a team yeah, would be like, large enough to have a plan. Should be. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Hypothetically speaking. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, when you have someone who gets disgruntled with a with a large organization, I think they're able to absorb the brunt of, you know, the feedback and bounce back from it maybe a little bit easier than a smaller nonprofit. So I, I'm aware of situations, you know, that are just really messed up where, you know, they're like, well, I'm going to write to all your donors and I'm going to tell them, how does a small organization bounce back? You've got to have a plan. Yeah, I also think um, I, I'm, I'm also, especially with founders, these small organizations, they have such a fierceness about their organizations and uh, uh they almost tend to take those kinds of things. They may overthink them well, or take them too personal. So that's a question: is is some of that taking it too per, taking it too seriously? So they get so obsessed about, oh no, somebody said something horrible about me on my social media page. I should delete it. And actually, that's not always the case, right? Um, and that's absolutely right. And I, uh, I have dealt with a number of clients that have crises and they can, they can be all consuming. And one of the things that I always say is, okay, you have one disgruntled, let's say it's your, 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 your a, a, an organization that serves clients. You have one disgruntled client who's making a stink mm -hmm. and you're spending all this time and energy on one client. Mm -hmm. 
um, who's attending to the other thousand clients right. you serve every month? And so you really have to think about that because you live in this bubble and um, and you have to keep your eye on the bigger prize. Right, right. It kind of reminds me of Henry Cloud's book, The Power of the Other. He talks about that and how sometimes you can get so obsessed with the 5% of the people that don't like you that you forget about the 95% of the people who do. And when you shift your focus, it changes everything. Um, So we are talking with Laura Zelke, who is the Director of uh, Membership Engagement. Now I think I screwed that up. The Director of Member Experience for the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, which is an online uh, membership site uh, that it provides both content and community for leaders, both board and staff of small but mighty nonprofits. And full disclosure, uh, it is a, a brainchild of uh, mine and uh, my marketing partner. And But it's giving us an opportunity today to talk a little bit about what makes small nonprofits distinctive. We've talked a little bit about their um, about their superpowers, about their kryptonite, uh, about their challenges. Um, where to next? I would like to just maybe talk about transformation because um, sometimes it can feel so lo- like we talked about loneliness or the fear of failure. Um, but what I have seen is people who come in into the lab um, who don't know what they don't know. And once you get around people who actually are asking the right questions and providing the information, it can be really empowering and transformative for an organization. And I've seen it happen over and over. And, you know, we have some really unique members. You know, we serve uh, all sectors and we've got people I'm thinking of particular, am I allowed to say names? I think you're allowed to say names. Okay. Like I'm thinking of Melissa Amarello, who has the um, Association for Snake Preservation, right? Yep. And and we were actually working like one-on-one with her last week, um, working on her elevator pitch and talking about the importance of re-educating people about snakes and, and we go from, from that to, you know, feeding the hungry in Uganda, providing education for children in Ethiopia. And there's so many organizations that we work with that maybe came in just a little loose, like not really sure, uh, having some challenges. Um, Joan Geary would say they were messy. <laughs> yeah. And then... Through training and mentorship, and that's something that I wrote down, you know, um, that smaller nonprofits, I think once they once they start understanding, like once they learn what they don't know that they need to know, and they have that community of support of other nonprofit leaders who get it, like who totally get it. I'm thinking even we have a little sub-community in our community, right? With the nonprofit leaders, we have solo teams Mm -hmm. where these are people who are like the only staff, paid or unpaid, that have kind of bonded together to support each other, you know, to get to that next level. And I just think that um, it can be really transformational when you actually take care of yourself, you know, expand your relationships a little bit, almost like when you throw a rock into a 
Into a pond, pond or something. something. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a good segue to something I want to talk about. But before I do, I, I want to uh, add a friendly amendment to the superpower thing. Okay. One of the things that I have learned by spending so much time with these, with the thousands of folks who are part of the leadership lab is how committed they are to being good at their jobs. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Is that... And it goes to a challenge, too, actually. Um, They're very, very committed to professional development, right? They understand that the stakes are high. And while they may have self-doubt, they're also clear that there are skills and attributes to build and develop to make them the best leaders that they can be. And I find that a real superpower. I also find it really, really inspiring. Well, and they're the ones, they're the ones to work with because they're they're not just moaning and groaning. They're actually taking action to not just to change the world with the nonprofit, but to even grow as a human being and grow as a leader. Correct. Yeah. And um and so that leads to a challenge and then a segue to the rocks uh, comment that Laura made just a moment ago. So I, I think one of the big challenges in the sector writ large is a lack of support for professional development, that so few budgets, even in larger organizations, do not include money for the leader or the leadership of an organization to invest in their own professional development. And, um, and I, 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 I believe the sector makes this choice uh, at their own, at, at its own peril. Um, when you consider what I said at the very start about the size of this sector, the impact this sector has on our society, um, inve- investing in the leadership of the sector seems like a pretty much like a no-brainer, really. And that actually is a good segue. Um, uh, because we know that small and mighty nonprofits don't have a lot of access to professional development, um, a couple times a year, I offer a free series of videos that are specifically for nonprofits to to dig into uh, some of those skills and attributes that they can build to make themselves, to help them build the capacity to be more effective leaders. And we have uh, just such a mini series, we're calling it a mini series, um, that is, um, that is, a, that we've just produced and um it's so exciting it, it is exciting <laughs> and um and it is uh, it tackles something that isn't a four letter word but i think that nonprofit leaders see it as a four letter word which is priorities is how do you when you take all of those hats i'm supposed to wear how do i decide what to tackle first when everything feels equally urgent And so our mini-series is about these three, what we're calling rocks, three big rocks that every nonprofit leader should be focusing in on because these rocks, when you throw them into your organization's pond, really has extraordinary reach and impact. And so... um, we are excited that this is the first time we are offering this free mini series and it's called high impact no burnout the nonprofit leader's guide to loving your work and living your life 
These things are not mutually exclusive, <laughs> and our mini-series will help you to see that, will get you thinking, will um, hopefully introduce you to some concepts that will generate ideas. So how do you watch this mini-series? Easy. Go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com and you will see a button right on the homepage that says join our waitlist. This is the single best way that you will be able to get information about the, um, the mini series uh, when it's available. And, um, and I hope that you will take advantage of it because as I said, uh, I, first of all, I also would say we've been talking about small and mighty nonprofits today, but I know that many of my listeners um, run lar- much larger organizations. Yeah. Um, there, you know, when we created it, it, it is our focus is on small, the small and the mighty, but I don't think uh, there isn't a leader out there that wouldn't benefit from some of the oh, concepts. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, when you're in the nonprofit sector, you may work for a larger organization, but uh, you know people in the smaller ones that that would really benefit from this. And it's free. So, yep, absolutely. And it's Joan Gary on video. <laughs> Um, and, um, the other thing that, that's pretty cool about it, and then we'll let you go, is that this workshop, uh, follows the journey of a woman who runs a small nonprofit. And so you will learn about her journey, where she started, and how she used these, um, these three rocks to really transform her organization. That sounds too good to be true. It's really true. Is it an actual real person or did you make her up? No, she's a real person, actually. She's a kind of a remarkable, like, superhero, like these other folks who are part of the leadership lab. And she's having a life and having a big impact all at the same time. Yeah. If you go to my Instagram, uh, Joan Gary Consulting, there's a there's a an image of this particular individual standing on her head on a paddleboard in a lake. Now, I don't, I would not categorize that as self-care. <laughs> I would categorize that as terrifying, but that's just me. Yeah. So anyway, we are, Thank out, you. yeah, we're out of time. Um, uh, Laura, thanks. I want, really want to say uh, uh, just thank you for the kind of dedication that you show to these um, folks in our leadership lab, and um, and the you know and the sort of the passion you have for um, supporting nonprofit leaders. Yeah, it's my honor. Well, there you go. All right, so nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join the waitlist to take advantage of our free mini series called High Impact, No Burnout. Not mutually exclusive. And um, and I hope that for everybody today that you've gotten a little bit of an insight on this massive sector we have and how many, what incredible percent, like 67% of them have these small budgets but are making remarkable things happen. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.